Hello, church family, and as always, I want to give a shout out to our church family meeting in Homestead. Today's teaching comes from the gospel according to Moses, more commonly known as the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. The context is the occasion when God promised Abraham a son through his wife, Sarah. And the text we're going to be considering records Abraham's response. And Abraham's response revealed a problem. The text is Genesis 17, verses 16 through 19. After God made that promise, we read, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No. Today I've reached into the archives to share with you what is one of my favorite teachings. And I've entitled it, Praying for Ishmael. Before we consider that, let's us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, by your Spirit, enable me to teach your truth. By your Spirit, enable us to understand and apply that truth. That's our often repeated request because that is our ongoing need. And we pray these things in confidence and in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's Word together today, may the Lord be with you. Have you ever prayed what later proved to be a sadly misguided prayer? Has the memory of something that you repeatedly, passionately sought from God ever been a recollection you would just as soon forget? Have you ever voiced a petition that was born out of emotional impulse, fear, or anxiety, anger, some personal agenda, a sense of frustration, your own wounded pride, or maybe just a lack of understanding? I think it's safe to say anyone who has ever prayed has prayed unwisely, requesting things that an all-knowing, loving, all-powerful Father would never grant us. Jesus anticipated that we would. So he said, if we ask for bread, our heavenly Father won't give us a stone. Now that statement sounds rather odd to us, but it made perfect sense to Jesus' audience. In that day, a loaf of bread didn't look like Salone's Italian bread neatly sliced and contained inside a wrapper. In that day, loaves of bread were about the size of somebody's fist, and they were small, rounded, smooth, and light brown in color. And for that reason, they were almost indistinguishable from many of the stones that you would find laying about Israel. 
They knew that Jesus was telling them he wouldn't answer their requests for bread by giving them something that looks very much like bread, but would leave them hungry, disappointed, and in need of extensive dental work. But while Jesus would never substitute stone for bread, we sometimes see stones and we think we're seeing bread. And so we put in our request for what is a stone. And we add to our request frequent mention of Jesus' name, as if it were a lucky rabbit's foot. We quote God's promises as if he's forgotten them. Sometimes we plead the blood of Christ over a matter, not really knowing what is involved in that. Other times we bind principalities and powers in his name. Or if you're appropriately gifted, you may cry out in a heaven birth prayer language. We enlist others to stand with us, quoting the promise, if two or more of you agree. And after all of that, we hear God respond, no, it's a stone. Trust me, you don't want it. Now, misguided requests always have one thing in common. They're more easily identified in hindsight. Requests that are fuzzy in the headlines often come into focus when we look at them in the rearview mirror. Abraham lived 175 years. So you can imagine his rearview mirror was crowded with memories. And as you might expect, some of those memories were edifying. Some of those memories were encouraging. But some of them were flat out embarrassing. And I suspect when he recalls the incident we're considering today, he filed it under embarrassing. I suspect he shook his head at his stubborn foolishness and asked himself, what was I thinking? And I suspect Abraham learned that if we're humble and paying attention, there will be times when we thank God he refused our request. The tale of Abraham's unfortunate prayer reveals a three-part sequence that unfolds frequently in the lives of God's people when they pray. It reveals a divine revelation of God's intent and desire, a doubting response to that revelation, and a distinct rebuttal from God. Now, the first two remind us that it's often hard to believe God's promises because we interpret them in light of our previous experiences, the meaning that we attach to those experiences, our existing loyalties, and our current confidences. God's promises push our envelope. God's revelation to Abraham indicated that he was going to have a male heir, a son, despite the fact that he and Sarah were of advanced age at the time before Viagra. Abraham's response was to laugh and doubt and then pray in ignorance. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. 
Now, to the casual observer, it appeared that Abraham's original request originated in his understandable attachment to his son, Ishmael. But the informed reader knows that Abraham's prayer was shaped by a previous mistake and misplaced loyalty. His attachment to Ishmael began as an attachment to his own wits rather than God's wisdom. Now, that wasn't the first time God had revealed his purposes to his servant Abraham. Once before, he had made it clear that an heir would be born to Abraham through Sarah. And Abraham believed him. And Scripture tells us because of that, God considered him righteous. But Abraham's subsequent actions and his prayer concerning Ishmael indicated that Abraham believed God for the end result. But he struggled to believe God for the means to that end. A son through Sarah. And his experience demonstrates that we may believe God's promise, but doubt God's process. And when we doubt God's process, we insert ourselves into the process. We try to help God a bit. So when Abraham's previously barren, 70-something wife, encouraged him to move the process along by having intercourse with her teenage handmaiden, Abraham consented. I've always suspected it wasn't a hard sell. And nine months later, the Middle East crisis was born. Ishmael was the product of Abraham's doubt and Abraham's self-sufficiency and maybe just a sprinkling of lust. And the Bible refers to all those things as flesh. Ishmael was Abraham's idea, not God's idea. And Abraham was about to learn that when we substitute our ideas for God's instructions, we always inherit pain and trouble. Abraham's doubts, Abraham's impatience gave birth to domestic strife. And everyone knows if mama ain't happy at home, ain't nobody happy. Sarah, after the birth of Ishmael, felt scorned by the servant who had provided her husband what she could not. And mama wasn't happy. And the fact that all of this had been her idea didn't change things. It rarely does. In addition, Abraham's doubts and his impatience gave birth to spiritual loss because doubt and impatience and taking matters into our own hands always erodes our faith, our confidence in God, and our understanding of God's ways. And we now know that Abraham's doubt and impatience gave birth to what we would later refer to as the Middle East crisis, a political conflict, an ongoing political conflict on an international scale. Every day, Ishmael's descendants, 
the Arab peoples, contend with Isaac's descendants, the Jewish people, over the land of Israel. And the entire world is continually dragged into that conflict. Abraham's prayer indicated that we go, grow excuse me, so attached to our own ideas that we ultimately prefer the solution that we know to the miracle that hasn't yet unfolded. We prefer the solution we know or that we think we know to the miracle that hasn't yet unfolded. Now, some of you might be doing what I'm talking about right now. Abraham had 13 years to grow attached to Ishmael before our text, before God restated the promise. And it's tough to trust God when God is silent. I always remind folks, if God promised you something in the past and you haven't heard from him in quite a long time, you just keep running on the last promise you heard until the next time God speaks. But it's tough to trust God when he's silent. And while God was silent, Abraham bonded, emotionally bonded with his son Ishmael. He watched him grow up. He held him on his lap. He heard his voice every day. He tucked him into bed at night. He taught him to walk and to talk and to hunt. So when God restated the promise, Abraham laughed in doubt, prayed in ignorance, but prayed in something else. He prayed in desperation. But somewhere between the laugh and the prayer, it dawned on Abraham, God isn't playing. God means what he says. Ishmael is not God's intended future. And so at that point, he cried out, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He wasn't crying out for Ishmael's life. That was totally unnecessary. God had already made it clear that Ishmael would live, that he would have many descendants, and he would live his life in defiance of his people. The issue that Abraham was praying about was the fact that he wanted Ishmael to be the key player in God's covenant. He wanted Ishmael to be the star of the show in the making of the Hebrew nation. And God wasn't having it. His response was literally, on the contrary, I'm going to use Isaac. Now, why did God insist on Isaac? And why, when he later told Abraham to offer up Isaac, why did he refer to Isaac as Abraham's only son? And those were God's words. Well, the New Testament makes it clear. God wasn't pouting. God isn't a control freak. God knows that things birthed out of our self-sufficiency can never accomplish his purposes. Never, never, never. They're doomed to fail because their source is in what the Bible calls the flesh. The flesh 
simply refers to human will and human intellect and human emotions acting independently of God. When we do our own thing, we're moving in the flesh. And things that are born out of independence from God are infected with doubt and infected with pride. And that's why Jesus said the flesh profits nothing. Anything that begins in us because of our doubts and our pride can never amount to anything in God's kingdom. Centuries later, Jesus himself came face to face with a different Ishmael, a symbolic Ishmael. In his letter to the church in Galatia, the Apostle Paul likened that man-made, tradition-laden religious system that Jesus encountered to Ishmael. And what Paul meant was that that religious system was man's idea. It wasn't God's doing. And just like their forefather Abraham, Abraham's descendants in Jesus' day had bonded so deeply with their own traditions and their own systems and their own ideas that they rejected the miracle that was Jesus, their Messiah. They prayed for the preservation of their Ishmael, the system in which they had so heavily invested. But fortunately for Abraham and for us, God is good even when his people are foolish. So he rebuked Abraham. He told him no, in no uncertain terms, and raised up Isaac. God's plan was going to proceed God's way. But, but, significant damage had already been done. I want to remind you, God's forgiveness erases our sin but it doesn't prevent consequences. And consequences aren't God's punishment. Jesus took our punishment. Consequences are consequences. If somebody spends the majority of their life in a drunken condition because of alcoholism, Jesus can forgive their lifetime of drunkenness in a nanosecond, as if it never occurred. But that person may still die later in life with cirrhosis of the liver because of all the damage they did to their body. And that's not God's punishment. That's just an unavoidable consequence. On an individual level, you and I pray for Ishmael when we plead with God to make our idea, our process, successful. Collectively, we may pray for Ishmael by praying that church as we've always done it and church as we've always known it will be God's vehicle for bringing blessing into our lives and into our community. Rather than being open to a new thing and a necessary miracle, we may want to hold on to traditions and memories and actions that grew out of our own flesh. We may want to hold on to things that grew out of the last miracle and hold on to them so stubbornly that we miss the next miracle. And while we pray, God, bless our Ishmael, God says, on the contrary, I'm going to use my spirit. 
I firmly believe that if we want to lay hold of God's desires for our lives, many times we must let go of our Ishmael. You and I have all heard the oft-quoted definition of insanity, doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. Well, praying for an Ishmael is a type of spiritual insanity. We're also aware of the horrible devastation that is brought on by addictions. This story offers us a sobering reminder that the most dangerous addiction is the addiction to our own ideas. That addiction will lead us to doubt God's provision, and it will reduce our prayers to little more than verbalized stubbornness. I want to say that again. If you aren't careful, your prayers may be reduced to nothing more than verbalized stubbornness. Last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about the Lord's Prayer and the fact it's in the plural rather than the singular. Well, going back to the Lord's Prayer this weekend, I want to remind you there's a reason why Jesus began that model prayer with our Father who is in heaven and your will be done. As our Father in heaven, He is good. As our Father in heaven, He has a vantage point that we don't enjoy. As our Father in heaven, His will for us is the expression of His love for us, and it is always better than anything we would substitute in its place even when we can't see the goodness of God's will. So when you pray, occasionally ask God, Lord, as I've been praying, am I praying for some Ishmael? Have I determined ahead of time in my heart and in my mind that if you're going to do this, this is how it's going to have to unfold? And have I invested so heavily in my counterfeit means to an end? that I can't see the miracle that you intend. And God will answer that question. We often hear people say, well, I asked God, He didn't answer me. No, usually that means I asked God and I didn't like the answer. But if you ask the question, God will reveal if you're praying for an Ishmael. And then He'll call you to release your attachment, stop pleading for the success of the flesh, and begin positioning yourself for God's provision and God's miracle. God will tell you, start looking for your Isaac. Shift your attention elsewhere. When you're willing to do that, your Isaac will always appear right on time. And if you'll do that, you can rest in the knowledge that even when our prayers are misguided, Jesus has promised he won't allow us to get stoned. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. As we pray today, if God has spoken to you in his spirit about something you've been pleading over, praying over, persisting in, that really is your thing and not his thing, Release that thing. Let go of that strategy. Let go of that wish. 
Stop making those demands of God. And in so doing, open your hand to receive the better thing that God has for you. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, but God has spoken to you through His Word about the fact that you've spent your life settling for stones when God has been offering you Jesus, who is the bread of life. And if convinced of that, you want to change your diet from stone to bread. Just cry unto the Lord in the quietness of your heart where you are because he knows your every thought. Just as he knew what Abraham was thinking. And if you'll ask him to forgive your independence and your sin, if you'll ask him to save you and change your heart, if you'll confess him as Messiah and believe that he rose from the dead, his promise is that he will change your life for eternity. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you love us too much to give us everything we ask for. Deliver us from praying for Ishmael's so that we can focus our energies on praying for our Isaac's. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.